We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Today's lesson is the road to discovery. Like my new Toyota RAV4 Platinum. With the Entune Premium JBL Audio with integrated navigation and app suite, I'm always finding someplace new. Trust your heart and your feet will open a new way. Like my RAV4. It has a hands-free foot-activated power liftgate. Class dismissed. Anybody want to ride in my RAV4? Me! I mean, I humbly accept your offer. Well, come on. When you're driven by discovery, you find adventure. The 2017 RAV4 Platinum. Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome into the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here with James Anderson. It is Thursday, October 6th. Uh, on the podcast today, we want to talk about Dynasty rookie rankings, taking a look at the draft class of 2016. A few weeks ago on the podcast, which you can find on iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom, uh, really all over the internet. Um, we talked about our top six rookies in this class. James has a great article that's up on rotowire.com uh, that goes really in depth on all the rookies in this 2016 class. Uh, so we'll kind of be working off that as well. Make sure to give that a read. But uh, just to recap, the top six rookies in this class, and this does not include, uh, at least the article doesn't include, Joel Embiid and Dario Sarge, correct? Yeah. 
Right. So Ben Simmons, one. Brandon Ingram, two. Chris Dunn, three. Jamal Murray, four. Dragon Bender, five. And Buddy Heald, six. And again, these are Dynasty League rankings, not necessarily uh, how we feel about these guys for the upcoming 2016-17 season. But we'll get right into it. Um, we'll start with Embiid and Sarge. Again, they're not on this list, but obviously they factor in here. And Sarge maybe more than we thought with Ben Simmons going down. Uh, for the first couple months of the season with a foot injury. Uh, but we'll start with Joel Embiid. He made his long-awaited NBA debut, albeit in a preseason game on Tuesday. Looked pretty good. Played, I think, 13 minutes. Uh, had two baskets. Uh, I think he took five shots, uh, a couple blocks, four rebounds. Uh, overall, it was an encouraging uh, encouraging start over a small sample for Embiid. So if you're looking at this list, um, and Embiid will qualify as a rookie, um, as far as the NBA is concerned this season, where does he fit in uh, when you're looking at dynasty leagues? I had a really, I, I, someone asked me about this in the comments and I had a really hard time uh, deciding where to put him. I settled on putting him third or telling the person I would put him third in between Brandon Ingram and Chris Dunn. I think he's got uh, the upside to be the best player. Or I mean, he, he could have a better next seven, eight years uh, than Ben Simmons or Brandon Ingram. But I just think you have to factor in the risk, uh, the health risk with, with given the injury, given the position he plays, given how big he is, uh, just that it's, it's, it's much more likely, I think, that he misses significant time over the next five, six years than either of those guys. But just on a pure talent perspective, I, I just couldn't put him any lower than three. Yeah, I mean, even with the Simmons injury, that that's it's a different context than Embiid. Um, and you know, I think you and I, and just about anybody who watches basketball, hopes that Embiid stays healthy. But you know, big men with foot injuries this you know this early in their career, there, there's not a great track record for that. So it's something you have to factor in when you're projecting his long term value. But you know, assuming he is able to stay healthy or relatively healthy, and you know, it's, Philly's probably going to limit his minutes for most of the season, and they definitely will to start the year. Um, you know, two, three years down the road, if Embiid is healthy, is his upside as high as a, an Anthony Davis or a Carl Towns? I don't, I just don't see it because I don't think his usage will ever be, uh, up to, up to where those guys are. Uh, I also, you know, he's a better shooter than really anybody that's as tall as he is should be. Uh, I was actually kind of surprised or it's been so long, it seems. I was, I was surprised to go back and look. He actually was a decent free throw shooter in college relative to what you'd expect a, from a guy like that. Uh, but I just I don't see any team, especially a team that has Ben Simmons on it, just giving, just pounding it into Embiid every single possession down. It just doesn't seem like a, a solid, sound way to try to win games in, in today's league. I think there's a place for... Uh, big men and back to the basket type of guys, and he's he's not just a back to the basket guy. He can step out and and shoot it a little bit, but uh, just I don't see him ever dominating possessions the way that Davis and Towns do. Yeah, I mean he has the athleticism. It's tough to to pinpoint what exactly it is, but I, I'm with you. I think Towns and and Davis are are a little bit more just dynamic offensively. Like it's hard to see. We saw Carl Towns like handle the ball in the open court a few yeah. times last year. Like I just don't like Embiid has the you're ability not, to do that, I, but he's just not gonna do it. You're not gonna see, you know, them them clear out like Embiid's got it like on one of the wings and he's, you know, facing up his right. guy and then like trying to go by him. You know, like Towns and Davis can do that and mm-hmm. that's what makes them so special. And I think uh you'll also 
you know, you can expect better shooting percentages from those two, um, from, from the line and from three point range. I mean, I think Embiid eventually will get to the point where at least on top of the key and corner threes, he's an option. Um, but I, I don't think he'll ever shoot it as well as, as Towns projects to, or, or Davis would project to. And then, uh, I think those guys probably have the edge in steals. Um, just, I mean, th- there's shot just... blocking is where maybe Embiid has the advantage. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I think those guys probably have the advantage in minutes per game yep. too. Um, I mean, it could be, it could be, you know, middle of next season. We're talking, assuming that Embiid is healthy where he's really, you know, playing 35 minutes a game, like, like Towns and Davis right. will be. And I don't even, even with like all the time Davis has missed with, with random stuff, he, he still just gets so much more injury risk than those mm-hmm. two guys, uh, especially right. more more than Towns. So it's just, he, he's, he's that kind of caliber of, of physical freak, but just, in, in the way it translates mm-hmm. to the court, I don't see him having that kind of value. I do almost wonder if he's if his size works against him in that yeah, way. I mean, he's I, like three inches taller than Towns. Like, it's just not it's not like physically possible for him to be as quick. And I know. don't think I think like the the perfect big man is a six eleven guy right. with that's crazy long. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think you would ever if you had your if you could just design a, a guy in a lab. To me, I wouldn't go taller than six eleven. I would I would go a little extra on the wingspan, but. Uh, I think it's so important that that you're able to move laterally, um, run mm-hmm. up and down the court without it kind of looking weird, without it looking like you're putting um, added strain on your body. And and I I think he is just a a bit bigger than mm-hmm. uh, than ideal. Uh, so what about Saric? Uh, he's he's a bit tougher just because we haven't I haven't seen him as much as as you and I have seen Embiid play. Um, I I said I'd put him. Uh, in between Chris Dunn and Jamal Murray at fourth on the list, just because you know this is kind of a weak class, especially after the top two or three guys. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't really see the case for taking a guy like Murray over Sarich, given Sarich's upside. But I, I would probably take Dunn over him. Right. I mean, if you, if you want to compare him, like Dragon Bender is probably the closest thing that we have to Sarich. You know, that, who was drafted in the 2016 class, and I, I don't think there's much of a debate that. Sarge is a better prospect than Bender, right? I mean, Sarge went later in his respective draft, but a lot of that was, you know, teams picking ahead didn't want to wait mm-hmm. the one to. I mean, at, at that time, it, it wasn't even known if or when he was coming over. Philadelphia obviously kind of had the luxury of being in the rebuilding process and were more than happy to wait as, as kind of as many years as it took for him to be here. So, like, if, if I think of those two guys as being eligible for this draft class, um, knowing that Sarge is coming over this year yep. and knowing that Embiid's healthy enough to at least play uh a little bit this year i think i think simmons still goes one i think Embiid goes two yep. i think ingram goes three and i think sarge goes four and the Embiid over ingram thing i think has a lot to do with just the lakers uh i, I don't think they're as high on ingram as i am and just ingram versus Embiid. i think you make a better maybe a case that Embiid might have more value in reality than fantasy I, I think ingram's um you know percentages with with the shooting and uh, lack of injury risk i think it makes up for the defensive um gap between the two guys no i agree with you there i think i think those would have been the the four prospects that were kind of all like any in some order they would be the top four picks there's a clear line to me between a guy like Ingram or, you know, I'm assuming in this scenario that Embiid has the same injury risk that we thought he did coming out of Kansas in 2014. I would, 
I'm assuming in this scenario that he has the same, like it's the same as like today. Like, okay. Like, you know, oh, okay. he's had this injury in his past. That's interesting. You know that he's worked his way back. Sure. Like, what what do you think Philly would do if, if you're uh, deciding between uh, so you could, and Simmons? So if you could rewind to June... We're right. late June and say, all right, you can keep, you can basically keep Embiid where he is as now, knowing everything that you know, right. or you can have Brandon Ingram. Or, no, or you can have, well, any, you could have or Simmons, have Simmons. Ingram, yeah. or Embiid. Like, how do you think that goes? I think, I still think Simmons is, is number one in this okay. scenario. Yeah, me too. If it, with the injury history is just too much with Embiid, but I think it becomes a debate with Ingram. Um, I, I think it's definitely think, a debate with Saric and anyone below that. I think certain teams, uh, the Lakers included, would take Embiid over Ingram. I think. Oh yeah. I think some of the smarter teams would take Ingram, uh, but I. That's an interesting debate. I think. I think the Lakers. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think they're very smart. I think they would have taken Embiid. <laughs> okay, so now getting back to the list uh, in the article, Jalen Brown checks in at number seven behind Buddy Heald uh, at six. I don't know what to think of Jalen Brown. I think this is he might shoot like forty-one percent from the field this year, maybe even lower, which as a wing is not great. I don't think the minutes are going to be there. Like, but at some point, Boston has to figure out this rotation. And if we're talking dynasty you know, two, three years down the road, Brown could be sitting, uh, you know, his position could be a lot better than it looks right now. Yeah, I, I think, you know, at the at the very least, he's got the name value, the fact that he was the number three pick. Uh, you're going to be able to cash that in. Like, if, if you're, you know, in fantasy, like if you're contending this year and you have Jalen Brown, you'll be able to trade him at some point during the year for, for something useful, I think. Uh you know, I think he's going to have more value, at least over the first two or three months, in, in trade value than Wade Baldwin, who I have ranked eighth. I think there's just a ton of risk here, though, and really don't see any reason why he's going to be seeing significant minutes for them anytime soon. No, I don't. I don't either. And I mean, this is a team that is kind of simultaneously building. They're not rebuilding. They're they're kind of continually building, but also contending. You know, by default, just because they're such an amalgamation of talent on that roster. And I mean, I could see him playing, you know, less than 10 minutes a game in the playoffs. Uh, Yeah. And like, so, you know, fast forward to next year. Like, I I think he's going to be kind of a, just a non-factor this year from a fantasy perspective. Fast forward to next year. Say that Brooklyn pick is like a top three pick. uh, Which it should be. Right. Say they take uh, a wing who is much better than Jason Tatum, for example. Sure. Sure like much better than much better prospect than than Wade or than uh, Jalen Brown is then all of a sudden you're looking at a guy who might even next year after this year might be like the eighth or ninth man exactly I was talking I was saying this exact thing to to DJ earlier this week like the 2017 draft has like up to 10 players who would be who would have been in consideration for picks like one through four in this past draft like I mean, you look at a guy, I, mean, I don't know how closely you follow this stuff, but Jason Tatum, like, you know, Josh Jackson, like both of those guys are should be head and shoulders prospects above Jalen Brown, who's a fine prospect. Mm-hmm. But these guys are, you know, legitimate, like, you know, potential superstar type of guys. I don't know if you could necessarily say that about Brown. I mean, look at Ivan Rabb. Like, Ivan Rabb is going to be like a late lottery pick in 2017. Right. Had he come out as, as a more unpolished player in this past draft, he could have gone in the top five or six. I mean, this is going to be... A stacked draft, and when you look at it from Boston's perspective, you know they're already so stocked everywhere. Even if they don't get a wing, like you know, if, if what if they have a chance to get you know Markel Fultz or Dennis Smith, like what does that mean for Isaiah Thomas? Yeah, I mean it's that the the best scenario for Jalen Brown is that they go 
point guard uh, yeah. with that pick. I don't, I think, don't. I think don't the point, replace Brown. I guess in the depth chart, but there's there's just so many scenarios mm-hmm. where I think they. I don't do think Jalen Brown is going to factor into their draft plans. No, but like, I, I don't mean, think he's good enough. Right, right, right. Like if if they decide they like Tatum or Jackson or you know Harry Giles or or whoever, they're they're going to take that guy, and it's going to be like, well, maybe Brown plays, right? Maybe he doesn't. Like it doesn't really matter. I think they just kind of looked at the guys available in the draft this year and just came to the conclusion that we're not high enough on any of these guys to ever be key rotation guys for us on a mm-hmm. uh, ch- championship team. I think they kind of screwed themselves there because of the fact that they – I think they did factor th- the fact that they have Marcus Smart on the team, they have Avery Bradley on the team into passing on Dunn. Yep. Like I think Chris Dunn – I would take him over Bradley, over uh, Marcus Smart in a heartbeat. Uh, if you're just Especially trying smart. to build a team, yeah. yeah. And so that that might have been a mistake there. But if if they are higher on those guys than I am, I, I guess I kind of get mm-hmm. it. But um, yeah, I mean Jalen Brown to me is not an asset coming into this year from a fantasy perspective. All right, what about Wade Baldwin? He's at number eight, um, getting some extended playing time early in the preseason with the Grizzlies. You know, taking it easy. Um, you know, with their starters. But, I mean, as you wrote in, in the first line of his little write-up here, is if, if Mike Conley goes down at any point, like Wade Baldwin is going to be playing big, big minutes because this Grizzlies team is pretty shallow, uh, really all over beyond it's, it's starting, you know, top five or six guys. Yeah, and you, you kind of have to assume Tony Allen at least misses some time this mm-hmm. year. Uh, Conley doesn't really have that much of an injury track record, so I, I wouldn't assume he misses more than five or ten games. But... Uh, you know, just kind of talking out loud about this, I I might take Baldwin over Brown if it was just <laughs> yeah. Up, we just like trash Jalen Brown. If and it was just, like, if but it he's was still number me. seven. Um, I think that just you're in pretty much any league you're in, Brown's just got more cachet right now than than Wade Baldwin does. But if you look at the measurables, uh, he's just one of those guys that could just be a, a lot better in the NBA mm-hmm. than he was in college. I don't know how high Baldwin's ceiling is, but I think he has a really, really high floor. And I think Memphis is a good spot for him, you know, learning under Fisdale. And I mean, even that, I mean, this is a guy who can play shooting guard. He mm-hmm. can, he can defend the three. I don't know how much you want him playing the three, probably not a whole lot, uh, but he's got the size to play shooting guard. And you look at the depth chart behind Tony Allen, it's Vince Carter, Troy Daniels, James Ennis, mm-hmm. you know, Andrew Harrison, who might not even make the team. Uh, I mean, there's going to be opportunities here, even if there isn't an injury to Conley or, or you know, Tony Allen does play 70 games. Like Wade Baldwin is probably going to be the the eighth man opening the year, and I, I think he could climb a little bit higher than that. So I like him quite a bit. Uh, the thing about him, though, is like there's no clear path to him starting at point guard for the Grizzlies next season or the season after or the season after. Right. That's that's an issue with a few of the guys that we're going to talk about here where you just, you don't see the obvious Avenue for starters minutes, but uh, you know, things change in a hurry. Yeah. Uh, the, the Grizzlies I think could easily get to the point in the next calendar year where they're sellers and they kind of blow the whole thing up. That Mike Conley contract is extremely tradable. Uh, they could, they could move that to any number of teams and, and actually get, valuable pieces back so if they do kind of hit the reset button on the franchise which they probably should have done a year or two ago just given uh, where the rest of the the teams in the western conference are 
if they hit that reset button, then all of a sudden Baldwin becomes the the primary ball handler. They they seem to me a little bit like the Atlanta Hawks, where it's you know they kind of had that you're at that crossroads this summer where you you could have let Conley walk and have that cap space, you know, because mm-hmm. all you have locked up, you got Randolph coming up the next couple of years, and they kind of chose to to keep the status quo. And it's like yeah, if every you know if things go as they should, you're a playoff team, but you're not winning anything. And and I think Atlanta. You know, they tried to keep Horford. They, you know, we we spoke with with KL from from Hawks dot com, and he said they wanted to get Horford and Howard together initially. That was the plan, uh, and obviously Horford, you know, getting out of there kind of put the kibosh on that. But yeah, I mean, it's a tough situation, especially for a team like Memphis that you know is in a smaller market, has kind of built up a lot of clout. I think with that community in the last five or ten years, it's hard to to kind of sell that. But I'm with you. And then at some point, they, you know, this core is as, as old as it is. If it's not this year, it might be next year, or for sure, I think the year after that. Uh, you have Dejounte Murray at number nine. Uh, how much of this is? Um, I don't want to say bias. Personal. I mean, it's my list. The whole thing is bias. <laughs> like it's it's the entire list is my bias. Okay. So All I right. Well, it. sure. Then I mean, how much of this is bias? Then a hundred percent. Okay. Uh, I mean, this is this is how I decided to rank the guys. I think I I this, during, this might be low for Murray during the is, process. Uh, I, w- I could have probably talked myself into putting Murray up a few spots. There's a guy that we're going to get to in a in a minute here who I, if I was redoing this, I might throw up five or six spots. So, I mean, the, the, a lot's kind of changed since this list came out. Murray, to me, doesn't – he he's kind of the, the opposite situation, what we were just talking about with Baldwin, where there's no, there's no scenario – in the immediate future where it's like Conley's definitely going to be out of the way where with, with Murray, I mean, Tony Parker is very, very short for being a starting point guard in the league. I think maybe, you know, maybe you look at this as his final year in that capacity. It just doesn't seem like even the Spurs and the, and the fact that, you know, pop's been through a lot with him and everything like that. Uh, I think he transitions into the the role that Manu Ginobili is in, like last year, where he's just kind of around. You know, he's, he's playing twenty minutes a game, and and it's not necessarily even good minutes. You're just kind of keeping him around for the postseason. I think that uh, eventually they they make that transition. And you think Murray's the guy they hand it off to? Uh well, they don't have. To me, I I love Patty Mills as a player, like a like a real life player, probably more so than than fantasy. But he's not a point guard. He he needs to be shooting the ball, instant offense. Uh, Kyle Anderson to me is someone that that could be a maybe like a Sean Livingston type of guy, where he plays point guard at times, but he's he's maybe kind of running with the second unit. So really the only guy left on the roster who I see as a potential starting point guard down the road in, in the NBA is is Murray. So unless they, they were to kind of upgrade that position externally, I think it would have to be him. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I do think that maybe they do look outside of the organization. And it depends, I guess, how, how they feel about DeJounte Murray after this year. But this is you might just completely laugh at this, but Chris Paul can be a free agent next summer. Like, I feel like San Antonio was on the short list of teams he would consider. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I think he would absolutely consider it. I don't know how much. I mean, I the respect for Pop is there, obviously. That no, goes I, I don't know how much Pop would want Chris Paul, especially if we're talking about a 
significantly past his prime, Chris Paul, because he doesn't, you know, the ball sticks with him. Like yeah. it's not a, uh, you're not moving it around. And, and I know that, you know, they brought in a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge who doesn't necessarily fit into the, the Spurs way of playing either. But to me, that was just a, look, we have to, we have to bring in some talent from the outside. We have mm-hmm. Kawhi Leonard who's in his prime. Nobody else is is even a top fifty player who's also in their primes. So we need to give him a guy. Aldridge is his style isn't necessarily our style, but he's a good. Uh, he's going to be willing to kind of defer well, they made a it little work, bit. Too. Yeah, I mean and they were proven right in this scenario. With when you're talking about a point guard like like a Chris Paul type of point guard, his uh, his attitude becomes the the team attitude and it's that's always sort of been kind of a locker room to me where there's never been sort of one guy who's the who's the vocal Mm -hmm. uh guy it's kind of been like the collection of guys it's been pop and duncan a little bit here but it's not been like this one guy kind of driving home a message of his own i i just don't see it as a perfect fit but at the same time you know if he i mean do you see chris paul ever being a guy who gets to his point and it, it gets to a point in his career where he's willing to kind of assume that Jason Kidd role where he's kind of a spot up three point shooter. I, th- I think it would have to be a couple of years down the road. I don't think he's there yet. I don't think he'll be there yet. This, you know, this next coming mm-hmm. off season. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think if you're the Spurs, you, you kind of have the, you know, the Spurs culture on your side, mm-hmm. I guess. And you say like, well, you know, it doesn't matter who we bring in. And, and Chris Paul's not really like a bad egg necessarily. You know, I think he's, He's kind of a bad bad egg for me, but um, yeah. Well, that's another story. <laughs> that's, that's but I mean, you, you I mean, you can see the Clippers <laughs> yeah. bowing out in round two or round three again, and you know, Blake goes his one way. Like the the options for Chris Paul are going to be there, obviously. Mm-hmm. But like to win, there like the Spurs might be the only better option for him. You know, unless somehow he's able to work a a deal to like Cleveland or something. Even I don't know why the Cavs would do that at this point. Yeah, I I think. Uh, I think you're going to see Carmelo moved fairly soon. Yep. Um, and obviously there's all that talk about those guys wanting to kind of unite on a, on a team together. I think if they want to do that, where winning a title is, is a realistic goal, they should do it soon <laughs> because, yeah. uh, you know, especially with Wade and, and CP, I mean, I think Carmelo's game is going to age extremely well. I like, think Wade's like by far the biggest liability of those four. Right. And you also have a guy like Kyrie Irving, you know, you're, you're not going to bring those guys in and take touches away from Kyrie. So uh, I could kind of see that happening, although I don't I don't know why any of those guys would want to go to Cleveland. Like, they would want to play with LeBron, but I feel like they would kind of be like, dude, you should just just come come here, man. Like, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, Cleveland's <laughs> the team that could kind of do it, though, right? Because you have the piece, and, like, Kevin Love, you can just flip for Melo. Or, you know, CP, you can flip for Kyrie. I think that's kind of what makes it easy. You can't flip. Well, like, in theory, like, money-wise, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's it'd be the dumbest basketball yeah, it would be terrible to trade Kyrie for I think I think they'll, I think they will play together, but I think it'll be years from yeah. now. Not right. this offseason. Anyway, number 10. This, I assume, is a guy who you mean could be quite a few spots higher, Thon Maker. No, I think I, <laughs> I kind of nailed his ranking, I think. Uh, <laughs> properly taking... I had to give myself a self-eval here, I'd say I killed this one. Proper, properly taking into account the risk yep. and not ranking him so low that I can look like a complete idiot in, in a few years, which is, which is on the table with a guy like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, total lottery ticket. I, I don't think you... We were kind of talking about, I don't know if it was on a pod or 
in the office about what how many minutes Giannis saw in his rookie year. It was actually more than I remembered. I think it was like in the low twenties or something like that. Uh, I don't know if Thon even sees that that many this year. Just just given the the makeup of their roster. Yeah. If there's some injuries, maybe. But right now they're they're fairly deep in the front court. He's the type of guy though that I think is as long as he's not in the D league, he could still get you like one and a half blocks per game just in like fifteen eighteen minutes off the bench. Uh, so that that's definitely intriguing uh i still think he's his body makes him kind of an injury risk right. long term yeah well, i mean it's gonna be wait and see i don't think we're gonna see a whole lot of him this this rookie season marquise chris is at number 11 uh he didn't foul all that much in his first preseason game that was a, that was a big plus yeah uh this one might end up looking bad too I'm, i might have him too low uh but i mean he, he's he's another lottery ticket for me just you kind of how do you feel about guys that don't have as many just basketball hours logged? You know, what a guy that comes late to his sport. I, I see the, I see the case for them them having more upside than they've shown, but I also just think that there's some skills, like basketball skills. Uh, I especially feel this way about like a sport like baseball where you need those a certain amount of hours logged, uh at an early age to, to really mm-hmm. become a, a solid fundamental player. What's well, I mean, it's like with learning a language, right? Like you can learn Spanish when you're 30, but it's a whole lot easier to do when you, you're just, you're just better at it if you mm-hmm. do it as a little kid. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it work both ways. I mean, there's cases you can point to where late bloomers have flourished. You know, I think didn't Andre Drummond not play until he was, you know, later in his life. Um, and yeah. you know, we've also seen kids. It's a know, special kind of player. It's a, it's a, it's a certain, kind of player though, yeah. right where it's a guy that that protects the rim i feel like that that's you know a guy like serge Ibaka, like guys that protect the rim yeah when you have like one like job that you're assigned to do i think it's finished dunks yeah it's easier to learn one open role threes like right it, it's really hard to become like a well-rounded player I yeah think. i think that's a good way to put it but i mean right now they're all they're going to ask chris to do is like roll to the hoop mm-hmm. occasionally hit a spot up jumper and just dunk so i mean their, their front court is so crowded right now uh, that it might be a little bit before we see how he's fully used. Um, number 12, Juan Hernan Gomez. What do you think about Hernan Gomez? Because I I have not seen a lot of Hernan Gomez, i got to admit. I think he... We're talking about the Nuggets, Hernan Gomez. He's he's very interesting to me. I think he's a guy that would have fit in uh, perfectly on those, like, Steve Nash Suns teams or... Like to go way back, like those those Steve Nash Mavs teams. Like he just needs to be on like he he'd be great on this this current Rockets team. Like he needs to be on just a, a high powered offensive attack where there's just a lot of grabbing and go, and and he can you know he can shoot he can shoot it from from NBA range. He can get by some guys off the dribble. I I don't think he's gonna do a ton defensively. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think at this point, I mean, he went a lot higher, I think, in the draft than most people expected. I think mm-hmm. when you kind of get into this range, a guy that could score 16 points a game maybe in his in his prime years while not giving you a ton else other than like three-pointers and, and a high field goal percentage, I think that that's, that's pretty useful here. Yeah, I mean, this is another guy where, you know, Denver's so, so deep that yeah, I think he'll, he'll, he'll find his way onto the court as a rookie, but it, it might only be in a very limited capacity. Check Diallo at number 13, a uh, guy that I think probably plays fewer than 50 games maybe 
you know, as far as just being on the court this season, you know, barring some injuries and, and even as shallow as the Pelicans are, they actually do have depth at the center spot. That's really power forward center, I guess, is really the only spot that you kind of like on that team. Um, you know, they, they basically came out and said, yeah, Dial is going to play in the D League this year. He'll, you know, he'll be up with them for a lot of games, but they're not expecting much from him at all. That said, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, coming out of high school was viewed as potential top five pick. He goes to Kansas, kind of follows in the, the same footsteps of Cliff Alexander and just never really seemed comfortable. He was suspended, I think, for eligibility issues at first, and it seemed like that kind of put him behind the eight ball, and he was never really able to improve his stock at the college level. Um, but, I mean, there's still a lot to like. We saw him at the Combine. He looked really, really good. Um, and what is what is your long-term outlook two, three years down the road? Uh, I think he could just be a, a monster in terms of blocks and steals and rebounds. Um, maybe like a more athletic Bismack Biombo. Like he, he can finish like he in transition, even in the half court on like, you know, you, you do a pick and roll and like a lob feed to him. He can, he can finish that stuff in traffic. Just a really special athlete. I uh, love his body. Like it, it's, it's a, it's a really kind of fluid, uh, all the parts move together uh, type of type of body. He's kind of weird in the fact that I think he's just six foot nine, but had uh, se- seven foot four wingspan. Um, he's just a really really unique uh, player. I think it's going to be most mostly defense and lobs, like I said. But I think that that uh, will work out well. Uh, ideally next to a guy like Anthony Davis. Um, Cause that way I think Davis, I, I think you, you want Davis to be the biggest guy on the court for you. And so like people say like he needs to play the five. I think he needs to, he can't be out there with like a guy like Ashik, but I think he can be out there with a guy like Diallo, even if Diallo's primary job is to protect the rim. Right. Davis can still protect the rim, but right. he, that's not all he has to worry right. about. And you can have a guy like Diallo guard certain fives uh, to kind of give Davis a break. I think that that would just be a much better fit uh, than than a guy like Ashik. And, uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm excited, hopefully two, three years down the mm-hmm. road before Davis inevitably leaves New Orleans. Uh, those guys get to it, He might again. be arguably like their third best asset right now behind Davis and, and Buddy Heald. It's pretty sad. It is pretty sad. Uh, you got Karis LeVert at 14, Malachi Richardson at 15. Uh, do you have much to say on either of these guys? Uh, no. Okay. Sabonis at 16. He's starting right now for OKC during the preseason. Uh, we'll see how is long it? that lasts. Like, like, so your boy Urs is coming off the bench? Urs came up. So, okay, so Steven Adams and Sabonis started at center and power forward, respectively, in game one. Adams got hurt, didn't play in game two. Um, but then they started, I believe they started Cantor and Sabonis. So Ursan's come off the bench both games. Six man of the year. I mean, it, obviously, if he meets the <laughs> eligibility, that's that's a shoe in I don't I mean I think they they're gonna need Ursan shooting. I think he'll end up being the starter. Uh what what? <laughs> uh, I mean, not, is he even like a good three point shooter he's anymore? He's a streaky three point like, shooter. Like he's one of those guys like in the uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope bag, where like everyone's always like, "Ooh, three and D, stretch four. Once you get that label, it's hard to it's shake like, it. I I never am like terrified when Ilyasova is out there like no. lining up threes if I'm if I'm going against him. So. No, uh, but but okay. So you know Sabonis, I I think it's interesting that he's starting right now. I I would probably take the under on 25 minutes a game though, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, well, I think I think they're going to need more out of Cantor this year. Like, obviously, Cantor's horrific on D, but I th- they're going to need that scoring. You know, when you lose Ibaka and you lose Durant, I think they're just going to have to live with Cantor giving up points on D just because of how efficient he is as a scorer. And I think that kind of keeps Sabonis at bay as a rookie. But I do like him long term. I still don't know if he, is he ever more than like a, a thirteen and like eight guy though. No, at no, his no. best. Like, I, where does where is his peak? Like Thad Young. Um, I don't even know. They're not the same type of player, exactly. That's not maybe not the best I, comp. I'm trying to think. Like he, to me, is just one of those guys who is is a every NBA team wants because he just doesn't really have any weaknesses. But he isn't. You look at the stats and you're like, eh. You know, you kind of take it or leave it. Right. Um, you know, maybe like a. Like Nick Collison and his absolute prime of primes, that type of player. Yeah, I mean, um, I think you look at him as probably having having a higher upside right now than Collison, yeah. knowing everything that we know in retrospect. But I mean, this always happens though, where you get a guy like this, or whether it's like Cody Zeller or whoever, where you're you're talking before before you actually see them play in a full NBA season, you talk about like what their upside is, and then it just kind of becomes clear. Why, uh, why'd you bring up Cody Zeller? Hmm? I did. Is there a is that a thing? I, oh, uh, you know, just. I just like an interesting comp for a fellow white player. Oh, no. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I only stick to in-race comps. Um, no, I think except for myself a... when I comp myself to Deshaun <laughs> Stevenson uh, the other day. We're, we're always looking for comps. for. We play a rec basketball league with, with the other Rotowire guys. We're it's, always not even, to, it's not a league. It's just it's a kind of a league. It's, it's, just it's a, a routine. It's an hour of pickup hoops okay. every We week. play an hour of pickup hoops every week, and... We're always trying to refine our, our NBA comps. Deshaun Stevenson might be the best that you've ever thrown out there. Yeah. Um, I hate it when people give themselves comps that are, like, way too self-certain. Like, if you are not – like, unless you played, like, college ball, I don't think you should be allowed to give yourself a comp of, like, anybody who was ever even close to, like, an all-star in the NBA. Like, You didn't like my Michael Jordan comp for myself? <laughs> uh, I forget who your no, actual I, comp was. I think um, we didn't. Well, at one point we had decided on like the worst possible version of Dwayne Wade, just see, because I of, think, just because of style of play. I think you're, yeah, I think you're like rookie year Dwayne Wade, or maybe like mm, this. I think last like sophomore year. year of high school Dwayne Wade. Okay, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Let's not yeah. give me too much because you're you're all about the the Euro step and yeah and um. Yeah, just ask ask Max out in the office how that went for him yeah. this past week. To me, to <laughs> me, I think me and Deshaun uh, specifically, I think it was twenty, was it 2011, 2012 Deshaun or twenty when they won the title, it was been ten eleven. Okay, ten eleven Deshaun. I'm title year Deshaun, number ninety two uh, ATM yeah. in the kitchen. Like I just bring bring all the the want and desire you could ask for on defense and i go completely a wall after we win the title and <laughs> you, you really have no idea where i am what i'm doing you just know that i really enjoyed winning that title yeah. um and you get that title for the rest of your career <laughs> all right now well, let's get to macaw the one, yeah this is the really the reason we ended up talking about this in the first the reason we're doing this entire I, I wanted to talk about patrick macaw uh i think this guy like if I'm redoing this list and I had enough uh if I had enough stones, I would maybe put him seventh or eighth, I think, if I was redoing this. I, I think Patrick McCaw might be 
the steal of this year's draft. And of course, he's in Golden State. Right. Uh, well, first of all, how much of, how much does being in Golden State and developing in that system and with those players around him like does that help? Nothing. No, help? I mean like okay. that's that has really nothing to do with it. Uh, I just really like the player at, from the brief uh, bits I've seen uh, of him in the preseason so far. Not only does he look like he's maybe added five or ten pounds even just since uh summer league but he or not even summer league the, the combine like we, we saw him at he the still combine. Looks he's, extremely he's, skinny. He's, he's skinny yeah he's skinny as hell but I, I still think he's added five or ten pounds since the combine uh he even as a skinny guy when he's out there with like steph curry kevin durant like it it still kind of looks like he belongs in the nba like it's it's not a body that i necessarily think is gonna um prevent him from from becoming a, a really solid nba player and I, I think the the golden state thing probably hurts him in terms of dynasty league value just because you can't really see a scenario where he's anything mm-hmm. more than a sixth or seventh man for them in the next two or three seasons but um i mean he could have like the baysmore effect you know, playing with those guys, and not that you know Bazemore was an illusion or anything, but mm-hmm. I think it's going to make him look really good when he's out there. I think he he could like it wouldn't surprise me at all if he shot like thirty eight, forty percent from three this year. Uh, if on like a per thirty six basis, he was giving you two steals a game. I just I think he's kind of a tweener, uh, point guard, shooting guard to me. Where I think he can run the point. Uh, he's probably best if he kind of develops in sort of a Zach Levine mold as, as a, as a kind of new age shooting guard. But I, I just, I think if you're, if you're doing kind of any sort of dynasty league stuff with, with this year's draft class and you want a guy who everyone's going to be sleeping somewhat on, I mean, you're not going to have to do anything crazy. Mm-hmm. Go get Patrick McCaw. Uh, I think he's a, a guy to target. All right, let's real quickly. Anybody else in this, you know, kind of eighteen nah. to twenty-five range you want to touch on whatsoever? Not nah. even Scal. Nope. Not even Scal. All right. Well, Good. so bid. We'll, we'll let you have your way. Then that'll wrap it up. Uh, the Rotowire NBA podcast will be back on Friday with, I believe, the three amigos, uh, led by DJ Trainer.